0: Genesis chapter 26, the 26th chapter of Genesis. We'll begin reading from verse 1 to verse 6 and then verse 12. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give to you, your descendants, all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say, she is my wife because he thought lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. I actually didn't really mean to read verse 7 there. I'm not going to be talking about that, but my eyes just wandered on. Verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That's actually the first mention of sowing uh, in the Bible, by the way. And where you get the, the law of first mention is always something good that you can read that would be encouraging and a blessing. The Bible says less about Isaac than it does about his father Abraham and about his son Jacob. Even though he lived longer than either of them, Chapter 26 that we looked at there a moment ago is the only chapter in Genesis that is solely devoted to him. And it is a portrait, if you will, of a faithful man in a time of famine. Now the godliest of men and the godliest of women go through lean times, dry seasons, times of famine as it were. I think of Abraham and how many, many years he went through life uh, without a child of his own, a son of promise of his own. I think of Naomi and Elimelech, who for many, many years had to leave their own homeland and their own hometown and go and live somewhere else because of a time of famine. And now Isaac finds himself here in lean times. And it would appear that in this situation, that his first impulse was to go to Egypt. But in verse 2, God says, no, do not go to Egypt. Uh, Egypt very often and invariably in Scripture speaks of the world. Generally, it's a type of the world. And God did not want him to go to Egypt. And uh, fortunately, God spoke to Isaac and prevented him from going any further than Gerar, which is on the borders of Canaan. Unfortunately, uh, that's where the Philistines dwelt. Uh, there was a colony of Philistines that had dwelt there for a long, long time. In fact, more than 100 years when his father Abraham had been there, uh, he had been dealing with the Philistines. And, uh, and where there would be Philistines, it's very obvious there's going to be strife and contention. It was sure to happen. Eventually, sooner or later, there's going to be a clash, not only of cultures, but a clash of spiritual things in the spirit, and sure enough, it was going to happen here as well. And so, how we handle conflict and confrontation with the enemies of our lives in time of famine in dry seasons is the big test. The test is never when things are going well, sure it's not. I mean, anybody can go through life when things is going well without any complaint whatsoever. It's when things are not going well, when there's a dry season, when there's maybe a spiritual famine, when maybe there's a time in your life when you're not up as you always have been before, time in your life when it seems like that God's gone missing uh, and you don't sense His presence as you used to. When I, when I say dry times and seasons like that, that's what I mean. But it's what you do in those times because in those times there's going to be conflict, there's going to be confrontation, the enemy's going to come against you one way or other. What do you do in those times when you don't feel good, when your feelings is, is, is not good, when you feel that it's lean and you're in a famine time, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle that? Well, Isaac did two things in this story, he sowed and he dug wells. He sowed and he dug wells. He sowed and he dug wells. In verse 12, we read there, read it again, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And so he sowed In a time of famine, there's always a risk when you sow something, when you sow seed. There's always a risk. Never more so than in a time of famine. What if the rains don't come? What if the ground stays hard and dry and dusty? It takes faith. It takes trust. It takes courage. If you only sow when you feel like it, you will not sow when you don't feel like it. If you only sow when it's convenient, you will never sow when it's inconvenient. If you only sow when there's plenty in your life, you will never sow whenever you find yourself in a lack situation. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, He that regards the wind (coughs) shall not sow. He that regards the clouds shall not reap. In other words, you can't always wait until the conditions are favorable. There's going to be unfavorable times in our lives and in the face of it, we're still going to have to sow if we're ever going to reap. If we wait until the unfavorable time passes, we may wait a long time sometimes. and we're waiting until the clouds go, he that regards the wind shall not sow. He that regards the clouds shall not reap. Ecclesiastes 11 and 6. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand. In the morning, at the first opportunity, sow your seed. In the evening, even if it's the last opportunity, you still sow your seed. We're not to give up on giving. Sure we're not. We're not to cease sowing. Psalm 126 speaks about sowing in the hard times, does it not? Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Proverbs 11, 24, 25. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it tends to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, And he who waters will also be watered himself. When it comes to God's kingdom, there are different rules that apply. We die to live. We give to receive. We lose to gain. God's leaders are servants. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's the total opposite to the way this word system works. Jesus strewed tradition on its head when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, maybe some of us are not too sure about that. Receiving seems more exciting, doesn't it? (laughs) Receiving seems more profitable. It seems to be a lot less challenging than giving. But is it? Well, maybe not according to Jesus. In fact, Jesus is saying here that giving is is on an entirely different level than receiving. Do you remember whenever he was speaking to the multitude on the hillside at Galilee, and how that they were so engrossed in his teaching that they were with him for about three days? And Jesus had concern about them, and he said to the disciples, he was concerned about their welfare, and they said, well, send them away. Let them go into the villages round about, let them buy some food. That was convenient. That was comfortable for them. There was no risk involved on in their part whatsoever. But you remember what Jesus said? You give them something to eat. That's inconvenient. That's uncomfortable. That's very risky. Because they had nothing as well. Two hundred penny worth wouldn't even feed all this lot. So that's evidently all they had in the kitty. And I mean, looking at it in the night it wasn't going to be enough, was it? So suddenly it's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. Suddenly it's a risky business. What are we going to do? Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Do you remember the prophet, how that he was at the brook Kareth and the Lord said to him when it dried up to go to Zarephath? I've got a widow there who'll look after you. you remember when he went and he got there? Sure enough, he found the widow and she was gathering some sticks. She going to light a little fire. And she says, I've got a little meal in a barrel. I've got a little oil in a cruise. I'm going to make a couple of little cakes for me and my son. Then we are going to die. I mean, that was all she had. Enough to make two e-scones. Remember what the prophet said? Give me first. Give me first. Go ahead and do that. But take some of that and make a little cake and give it to me first. That's sowing in a famine, isn't it? That's uncomfortable. That's inconvenient, isn't it? That's risky. What if I give this man there's going to be less for us? You see, sowing in a time of famine. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. So Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The fact that it says a hundredfold alerts us to this was unusual. This was not the norm. But he risked it and he obeyed God and he took his chances. You say, well, maybe the famine wasn't in that area. Well, maybe it was coming to that area. It takes a while for a harvest to come. It takes months for a harvest to come to fruition. What if he planted his good seed? What if he dug that ground? What if he put the seed in there? And what if the famine did come to that area too? What would happen then? He'd lose everything. But you see, he's going to sow in a time of famine. And sometimes, whenever we least feel like it, And when it's least convenient, and we have the least to do it with, can be the very time when God challenges us to do it. And when you do it, and you do it in faith, and you do it in obedience, and you sow in a time of famine, there's nothing sure that you're going to get a harvest. Whatever you're sowing. Whatever you're sowing. It doesn't necessarily have to be pounds, shillings, and pence. Whatever you're sowing, when you least feel like it, it could be time, it could be effort, it could be whatever. But in a time of famine, he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him, Psalm 126. And so he sowed in a time of famine. Secondly, he dug wells. In dry times, you need a well. You need living waters. And sometimes you need to re-dig the old wells. And sometimes you need to dig new wells. You see, digging a well, Bedouin people of which He was. Whenever they went into the wilderness and the desert areas, they had to get a well. They had to dig a well. They needed that for their own existence. They needed it for their livestock. But to dig a well meant a lot. Because when you started to dig a well, you were saying, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm stopping right here. This is where I'm going to establish myself. I'm going to dig a well here, and I'm going to stay here. And so you're making a declaration when you dug a well. And if you're in enemy territory, as he was, and you dig a well, you're sending out a signal even to your enemies. Hey, I'm digging a well here. I know I'm surrounded, but I'm going to dig a well right here. And that's what he began to do. And so he started to dig the well Uh, Let's just read a little bit further here than from when we had read there. We stopped there at what? Verse 12, 13, 14, 15. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father and they filled them with earth. A hundred years prior to this, Abraham was in the same place in the same position. And he dug wells. But the Philistines, again, because Abraham was very prosperous, and you'll see in a moment, because Isaac became very prosperous, they wanted them out of that territory. And the best attack was to fill those wells. Because without water, you could not stay there. You had to have a well. And it says they filled them with earth they would come along and they would dig up the earth and they'd put in rocks and they'd put in soil and they'd fill that up so that it was unusable. That it would be blocked. And the devil wants to come in our lives and bring a hard time, a rock place, a hard, difficult time in order to block up the flow of life or well that we have. Or he wants to come with earth, with earthly things, with carnal things, and fill our hearts and our minds with carnal things to block the flow of life that's in our hearts. That's what he wants to do. And if he can block that flow and stop that flow in our lives, then we're going to dry up. And it's going to be very hard to last in that place. And that's what he wants to do. So we have to watch the enemy doesn't block up our wells because that's what he wants to stop, the flow of God in our lives. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you're much mightier than we. By the way, Abimelech was probably a title rather than the actual name of the king because in Abraham's time, That was an Abimelech too. So it's probably a title rather than an actual name. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and he called them by the names which his father had called them so he had to redig the old wells and sometimes in our lives we have to dig the old wells the wells that has been clogged up and sometimes the well uh, part of the life has been clogged up for a long time and we got to redig it and get it flowing again and get the fresh living water to come again and so he, he, he re-dug again the old wells and then what does it say also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. That's a well of living water. That's pure, fresh, great, sweet water. And in every valley there is a <laughs> there is a well to be found if we dig. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the water Esau, which means quarrel or contention or strife. The devil wants to bring strife and contention into your life. Nothing will stop the flow of God quicker than contention and strife in your life. Avoid it like the plague. Now I know that sometimes we have to face issues. No, sometimes uh, we have to, the Apostle Paul, I mean, it took his stand many times. And sometimes he even used the fact that he was a Roman citizen. But as much as we can, we're to avoid strife and contention. And so these Philistines said, That's ours. And they quarreled about it. And there was contention and strife. And so what did Isaac do? Then they dug another well. And they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, or enmity, or opposition, or accusation. And so the enemy will want to come with strife and contention, with opposition, with accusation, with all kinds of things in our lives that will try to stop us and try to... uh, halt the flow of God in our lives. That's what he would try to do. Uh, look at, well, you don't have to look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, let me just read it for you. In Nehemiah chapter 6. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and all the rest of her enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, that there were no bricks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the door and the gates that Sunballot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. Ono was 30 miles from where they were. They wanted the work to stop. They wanted them to get away from the place of blessing, the place of building, the place that was being prospered by God, and to go out and have all kinds of contentions and strifes and fights and arguments over this so I sent messenger them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Hmm. What a great answer. But they sent me this message four times and I answered them the same manner. Mm-hmm. Then Zimbabwe sent the servant to me before the fifth time. The devil just doesn't give up at the first go, you know. Sometimes he goes back again and again. After he tempted Jesus three times, he'd left for a season, it says, and then he would come back again and again, all to try to stop the flow of God in our lives, to try to stop us building those wells. In fact, in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, says, But so it happened when Symbolic heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? See the sarcasm. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So there's all kinds of accusations and oppositions and contentions and strife all to stop him building the wall for God. All to stop that flow of God in his life. But did it stop him? Thank God, no. He kept at it and at it and at it and at it until the wall was built, until the job was complete. Did you notice how that every time there was strife and opposition here, did you notice how that Isaac refused to get involved in it? He says, okay, and he just moved on, and he dug another well. And they fought against him, and he says, okay, and he moved on, and he dug another well. And sometimes we just have to say, I'm not going to get into that argument. I'm not going to get into that strife. I'm just going to move on, I'm going to dig another well, and God will bless And so, notice here, and he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. You know, there comes a point when the enemy gets tired if you don't give up. There comes a point he'll stop, maybe for a season, but he'll stop. And there came a point where they no longer followed him in digging these wells. And notice this. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth. Because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Rehoboth means spacious. It means roomy. If you dig wells, if you keep the flow of God going in your life, God will bring you into a larger roomier place. God will bless you. He will prosper you. He'll bring you into a deeper spiritual walk. He'll do all of these things. He'll make more room for you. You'll not be confined. And you'll have a more spacious room. And so, he dug again another well. Then it says, called its name Rehoboth, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Boy, they really were fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, By the way, this is where he left from. This is where he started out from this journey to Gerar. And now he's done full circle. Now he's come back to the place that he'd left the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there. As far as we know, this is the only altar that Isaac ever built. Building an altar was very, very important indeed. He built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. He built an altar there. An altar was a place of worship. He established a place to worship. He had much to thank God for And so the first thing he did when he got back was he built an altar and says, I will worship the Lord my God. I will build an altar of worship unto God. He built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord. This was not just a place of worship. This was a place of prayer. He worshiped and he prayed at this place, Beersheba. We need a place to worship. We need a place of prayer. And he pitched his tent there. And they dug a well. He pitched his tent. It means he rested there. He had a place of rest. If we worship, if we pray, we'll have a place of rest. And then it says, his servants dug a well there. If we worship, if we pray, we'll have a place of rest and we will be refreshed because we'll have a well. Amen? So, briefly tonight, and I've been brief because it's so hot, he sowed in the time of famine and he dug his wells. And God blessed him so much. In fact, you know, they had told him to leave the land because he had been so prosperous And had grown so much they began to feel threatened by him. But if you read on in the story, you'll see that after he had left, after he had gone to Beersheba, you'll see that they came and they said, Let's be friends. You know, oftentimes if we live right and we live godly, the Bible says, Even he'll make our enemies to be at peace with us. And they said, Let's be friends. Let's make a covenant. You see, Abraham and Abimelech hundred years before this, that Abimelech, they also made a covenant. In fact, part of that covenant was that they could come to that land and they could dig their wells and they could enjoy that. But this Abimelech got frightened and threatened and wanted them to leave. What did he do? He left. He didn't fight or argue. He left. And wherever he went, God just blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. And then Abimelech says, do you know what? I think we should make friends with this man. I think we should make friends with him. Look what, look what it says. Verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Pekal, the commander of his army, and Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let, let there now be an oath between us Between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you. That you will do us no harm. (laughs) Did you notice that? He's so blessed that now they're worried. He's going to do them harm. That you will do us no harm. Since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing to you but good. And have sent you away in peace. Well that wasn't quite true. (laughs) It wasn't just quite true. Good job they didn't do anything to him by the way. You're now the blessed of the Lord. Even our enemies sometime may have to admit that we are the blessed of the Lord. If our wells is flowing, and we have the well of living water in our lives, and God blesses us and prospers us spiritually, even our enemies someday will have to say, Do you know what? The hand of God is in your life. And so he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. And they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they parted from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. And so they called it Sheba or well of the oath or well of the seven. Because Abraham a hundred years before this had made a covenant with the previous Abimelech And part of that covenant, he gave him seven new lambs. And Isaac had remembered this. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. So what are we going to do in lean times, in famine times, in dry seasons? We're going to sow our seed. And we're not going to stop. And we're going to dig our wells. And we're not going to stop. And God's going to bless us, isn't he? And God's going to prosper us. And God's going to give us the oil of gladness. And he's going to allow the living waters to flow through us. and To touch the lives of others. That even our very enemies will have to admit. You know what? God's blessing that person. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we stop and we give you thanks tonight for the many, many blessings that you have given us over many, many years. We're grateful for your faithfulness tonight. We thank you, Lord. Lord, would you help us individually and corporately, even as a body of people, Lord, to keep our wells clear and to keep the flow in our lives of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching of the word of God that brings light to our path. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.